So Daniel 6. Um, last night I was thinking about Matthew 5, 9. And it says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That when we're making peace, we look a lot like our dad. That's what that is saying. And I'm thinking about that um, because do you know what always on is? Like your TVs now are always on. They're just waiting for you to click something. Your assistant, your Google Hub or your Alexa, they're always on, right? They're waiting for you to say the right word, whatever it is. Hey, Google. Um, I think believers are to be always on. That you can't like separate out, oh, this is the Christian life and this is something else. I said that because last night I went to the skate park. My wife was shopping in Medford, so I grabbed my 11-year-old Elijah and my five-year-old son, Myron, and we headed to the skate park, and I'm too old to be at the skate park. So a week before Easter, I turned my ankle. It's still swollen. How long has that been? About a month ago? It's still swollen. It still hurts. I'm like, will I ever heal? I don't know now. I think I'm going to be forever crippled by this injury, and it was the dumbest thing ever. Like, I literally went forward, flipped over the front of my scooter, and landed on my foot. And the one guy that I didn't want to do it in front of was this, this his guy named is Tony, Tony Tomashiro. <laughs> he was there. He's like, dude, I saw that. I'm like, oh, man. I didn't care about the, th- you know, the third graders and fourth graders here. It's the adult. Like, he had to see it. So, anyways, I shouldn't be there. I'm there with my son. I'm not doing anything this time. And they're, they're skating and stuff. And I started to notice this, like, something was happening. And the voices are being raised, and so I'm like, hmm, all right, let's go. So I grabbed Elijah in Myron's sweatshirt and saw Elijah and said, hey, let's go. So we start heading out, and it's kind of getting a little bit like, hmm, over there. And I'm just thinking, oh, okay, whatever. So I get in the car, and I'm parked where I'm facing where these, this little altercation is happening. And then I just see this kid grab his skateboard and just sideways right into this guy's shoulder. And then it's on, right? So I jump out of the car, go running over there. I look behind me, guess who's following me? My five-year-old Myron. I'm like, no, <laughs> this is not for you, buddy. I know that looks fun, it's not. So I go up there and it's this like 17-year-old kid and this 15 and this 14 and this 13-year-old kid. And it's the 17-year-old against these three kids. And I'm like, hey, 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 time out, guys. Like, what's going on? And they're just hot. They're not even listening to me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, no skateboards, dude, no skateboards. And there's these four other, like, grown men my age who are just standing there. I'm like, really? I'm like, really? Come on. They're like, mm-mm, no, I didn't do anything. So I'm, like, following this thing, just making sure. You're not going to hit each other with a skateboard. I'm not letting that. And they're just yelling, just red hot, red hot. And I'm following them, just saying, hey, calm down, calm down. Don't do this. What are you doing? The cops are going to come. You guys are all getting in trouble. You know, I'm just trying to reason with them, but they're just up here, just red hot. And so finally we're out, like, they're just kind of, pushing and shoving, and I'm kind of like in the middle, don't do this. And then finally I looked at three, I said, dude, you guys won, right? You won. He's leaving. Let him leave. You won. So finally, somehow that just clicked into their brain. They're like, okay, call 911 though. Call 911. And I'm like, yeah, right. I don't have a cell phone. So I'm not calling 911, right? So it gets separated out. So I'm walking then back to my car like, <sighs> really? And then this old guy, and he was about my age, you go to a skate park, you know how old you are. There's not old people there. We're old, right? He was hilarious. 
He's got knee pads on. He's got like elbow pads on. He's got a helmet on. He's like duct taped down. He knows about getting injured. I'm like, yeah, that's smart, man. So he's like, those two boys, they're always hot. I said, why? He said, a year ago, they walked into their living room and they found their mom had hung themselves, hung herself. My heart just broke. Because, you know, sometimes I can, I, I just like, I was like, man, these kids are punks. Until I heard that. And my heart broke. Believers were always to be on. You just don't know, like, what's happening in people's lives. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they shall be called the sons, the daughters of God. We're, we're always to be on. There's ministry happening everywhere in this city. We're to always be on. Daniel is an example of a guy that was always on. He never turned it off, okay? It's probably estimated that he's 80 years old in chapter six. He's an old dude. He's still on. He has not given up. He's running through the tape, right? I love that. And what I love about Daniel is this. Sometimes the church can be like people that are good at ministry. We're like, hey, you should quit your, quit your job and come in to, to work at the church. Daniel never does that. But is he probably the most influential person in Babylon? Makes it through eight different kings that we know of, and he's still at the top of his game. Oh, don't come in. I think the church needs to be very, very careful when we say, hey, you should come out of whatever job you have into this position because we can pull out very influential people. But the other side is this, wherever we're at, we're to be on. The reason why Daniel was so influential was what? He never turned it off. He's like, I have this job. I'm in Babylon. I'm an ambassador to Yahweh here in front of Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, now this guy named Darius. He was always on, and I love it. Blessed are the peacemakers. So this is the last major piece of biography we get about Daniel, a phenomenal human being. I can't wait to meet him. So here's how it goes. Verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss, probably taxes. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to found, find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So if you don't know the story of Daniel, Babylon is defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. In comes a new kingdom. This is what this new kingdom looks like. Different than an absolute monarch, which was Nebuchadnezzar, which was Babylon. Now it's kind of the division of power. There's a king, there's some other people, like a triumvirate like Rome had with Julius Caesar and 
Cassius and Pompey, like that. That's Daniel, his crew. And then underneath them was a bunch of like governors. So it kind of has this pyramid thing to it now. So Daniel's in there. He is 80 years old at this time. And he's about ready to be taken out of the three and elevated. So Darius the king is like, bro, you are amazing. Run Babylon for me. I'm going to binge watch on Netflix and do nothing. You do it all, right? That's what he's doing. I want you to take over. The other two guys, are they like, hey, congratulations, Daniel. That's awesome. Good for you. No, right? They're jealous. And verse four, then, right? Once he was going to be elevated, then they launch into this program to pull him out. Do we do the same things? Are we jealous of people? When you see an Instagram post of somebody who's in Europe on vacation with their spouse, are you like, oh, good for them? Or are you like, show off? Right? When you see someone that gets engaged and you want to get engaged, and they're like, look at the big shiny rock I have. Are you like, awesome? Or like, oh, when's my turn? Meal, Hawaii, whatever people do nowadays. Are we glad or are we mad? I think one of the ways that you know the gospel has worked on your life is when you can rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. When you're glad when people get ahead. You're not a zero-sum game where it's like there's only this much pie and they got most of it. No, you're saying God is bigger than that. And he can bless through so many channels and I'm going to rejoice with you. When you can do that, you know that snake that bit the human heart in Genesis 3 is starting to be unwrapped from your heart and you're being cured from that poison. Because it was that poison in chapter 4 of Genesis that led to Cain killing his brother. Right? That's the poison. Probably that's what poisoned last night at the skate park. It's that same poison. When you can truly rejoice with people that are rejoicing, you know the gospel's at work in your heart. And why is Daniel so influential? It tells us, number one, he had an excellent spirit in him. I think Daniel did everything he did super well. One of my favorite verses about Jesus is Mark 7:37. It's a high-flying verse. And it says this, he did all things well. He didn't cut corners. He didn't say, well, that's below me. I'm God after all. Everything Jesus did, he did well. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says this, whatever you find in your hand, do it with all your might. We could put it this way. Anything worth doing is worth doing well. Or Colossians 3.23, do all things heartily unto the Lord. There is a theme in scripture. Do what you're going to do excellently. I think the worst witness that happens is people that do shoddy work and then talk about Jesus. If you're going to do shoddy work, don't talk about Jesus. Just do shoddy work then, right? Or people that, and I had this early on in ministry at Edgewater. There was a guy that he would stop work and want to read his Bible. And I'm like, bro, you can't do that. He's like, well, Jesus is first in my life. I'm like, well, then let him pay your bills, Okay. And if he has hired you, you owe him. If you want to read your Bible, wake up 30 minutes earlier and read it then. You're getting paid right now to work. 
right? I think it's terrible when believers don't want to hire other believers. They'd rather hire a pagan because at least they can sue them, right? It's terrible. Excellent spirit. What he did, he did it to the absolute best of his ability, and it marks him throughout his whole life for 80 years. He did well. I worked hard. Love that. I love to hear from people that say, oh, man, so-and-so goes to your church. They work for me. They're the best. That blesses my heart. It's the, uh, to me, it's a great witness of Jesus in someone's life. So he had an excellent spirit. Number two, number four, or verse four, it says this, he was faithful. Faithful means this. He did what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it year after year after year. I think Christianity can be summed up as this, a long obedience in the same direction. You just keep doing what you're supposed to do year after year after year, and people say, man, faithful. Then lastly, no ground for complaint or fault was found in him. Think about that for a second. 65 years, he's been a politician, and they can find nothing on him. How crazy is that? Right? It's like when we vet a Supreme Court nominee or someone for president, right? There's all the FBI gets in action, CIA, uh, TMZ, CNN. They all go for it. Man, do they find things? Absolutely. Right? This guy got a Dewey and he left the scene and we're going to talk about it. Or he had this sort of fair or he was mean to his third grade math teacher, right? And she's here to talk about it. They're always going to find something. 65 years. Nothing. Politician for 65 years, and they can't find a thing. You know, what, you know what you call that? That's a miracle. That's what that is. All right, so he is a brilliant dude. And, and is he rewarded for that? Is he successful because of this? Yes, he's thrown to the lions for it. That's his reward. Listen, you can do everything right. You can do everything right and still be punished. Do you know that? When we say the world's not fair, we're just realizing we're not in Eden anymore. Right? The world's not fair. Totally. The world is not fair. You can get fired. You can get attacked. You can be maligned. Okay. And the Bible says this. Romans 12, 17. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. That's what we trust as believers. I don't have to go get people. I don't have to try to get back at them. I don't have to put out all those fires. I just say, you know what? I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to keep doing things excellently. I'm going to try to do things without error or fault. And I'm trusting the rest of God. And if I get thrown to the lions, so be it. I'll still trust God. That's Daniel. So then verse 6. These high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. So this is different than the Babylonians where 
King Nebuchadnezzar could just make any whim and any decision. This is now more like a constitutional monarchy where there's laws that govern what a king could and could not do. And he couldn't change them once they were in. And you see now a new persecution coming on the believers. Not the first time. Chapter 1, persecution. Chapter 2, persecution. Chapter 3, persecution. And here. But this is the first time the worship of Yahweh has been outlawed. You may not pray to God. Tuck that in your mind because the second half of Daniel deals with this as a theme. That there's going to come leaders and there's going to come a final leader that's going to do these kinds of things, outlawing the worship of God. Now, could that ever happen in the United States? So John Lennox, who wrote a, if you want to, I found it to be a very readable, good, not overly academic um, commentary on Daniel, get John Lennox. He's a math professor at Oxford, brilliant, brilliant Christian believer. He writes a great commentary. He, he had this, and this is a statement of Judge Samuel B. Kent of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas in 1995. And he, he, it was about um, any student mentioning the name of Jesus, no other name, mentioning the name of Jesus in a graduation prayer shall be given a jail sentence. And then he writes this, and quote, make no mistake, the court is going to have a United States Marshal in attendance at the graduation. If any student offends this court, that student will be arrested and will face up to six months incarceration in the Galveston County Jail for contempt of court. Anyone who violates these orders is going to wish that he or she had died as a child when this court gets through with it, end quote. Wow, <laughs> that's insane, huh? 1995, almost a quarter century ago. Could this happen in America? Hmm, interesting, right? So this is kind of setting the stage for these prophecies that Daniel's going to have coming in chapter 7, 8, 10, 11. So tuck it in your mind. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. I just love verse 10. When it was signed, he went home, prayed three times in front of an open window, making sure that they could see him. Daniel's like, huh? 
I'm gonna, I might be old, but I'm going out with a roar. I don't care. Do whatever you're going to do to me does not matter. You know what I call verse 10? The habits of a holy man. That's what it is. Three times a day, I go to my room, I open the door, I open the window, I get on my knees, and I pray and give thanks to God. It's such a known habit that the enemies of him know this is what he does every single day. Right? He's so well known for it that they can set a trap based on his habits of holiness. Could someone set a trap like that for me? I know Matt, where Matt will be on Sunday or Wednesday or Monday morning. Could they set a trap for me like this? Because my habits are so committed. And is it a command in Scripture to go into your room and open the window and get on your knees and pray three times a day towards Jerusalem? Is it a command in the Bible? No. It's nowhere. Right? So when Daniel is told he can't do this, and, and he's like, I'm going to do what I want. He's not sinning here. It's not a sin that he's going to commit. It's a practice he will not quit. For 80 years, I have prayed like this. And I'm not going to quit now. I love that. It's a practice he won't quit. I talk to people that struggle in their faith. So do you. And sometimes I get a little ornery and I'll just ask them, okay. Are you reading your Bible? No. All right. Are you getting together with a group of people like we're supposed to and, and rightly dividing the scriptures, just studying scripture with a group of people? No. Are you praying? No. Are you in communion with people that love you and want to call you to account and, and, will, and will encourage you? Are you doing that at all? No. Well, okay. That's why you're on life support right now. You're malnourished. You haven't eaten in like years. Right? You have habits of holiness. Why was Daniel so consistently on it year after year after year? Because he had habits of holiness. Can I say that about myself? Because eventually it will be your habit that holds you when things are tough. When you're facing the lions. When things are difficult. It's your habits that will hold you. Am I chasing Jesus with all my strength? Because I'll love where I end up. Brilliant. Brilliant. And like I said in the beginning of this book, like there are people that doubt its authenticity, but one of the internal proofs is this. It was Babylon punished by burning people in the furnace, chapter 3. But the Medo-Persians believed fire was a god, so they wouldn't do that with fire. And they punished people by throwing them into the lion's den. Now, how would a guy writing this 400 years after these events know something like that. It's impossible. We're talking 150 BC. There's no Wikipedia. There's no Google. There's no books. He lived it. It's one of those internal proofs of this book. All right, so then here's what happens. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persian that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. 
than the king commanded. And Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So the king gets his high-powered lawyers out. They start going over all this law. They keep looking at it, and there's no way out. Can't do it. And he's angry. What a dangerous game to blackmail a king. We're going to find out how dangerous it is. Super dangerous. And so now Daniel's going to be thrown to the lions. You know, a lion can eat 30% of its weight in meat at one sitting. That would be like you, the average man, that'd be like the average man going to McDonald's and eating 200 Big Macs. Now, I could do that, but not the average man. <laughs> That's insane, right? Lions are ferocious. And I love what this king says in verse 16. I tried, I've tried to change this law, I've tried to figure out how to help you, I can't. But maybe, maybe your God can. Whatever Daniel lived, however he lived, it was such a powerful witness. There was a calmness probably to him in that moment. He's Alfred E. Newman, right? What me worry? Lions, who cares? Then he's like, maybe, just maybe, God can save you from a lion. Have you ever heard a lion roar close up? It's unbelievable. One time in my life, we are camping in the school of ministry at El Faro Beach in Mexico. And they had this like 15 by 15, like concrete with bars, pen for this lion, like this old lion. He had no teeth and he's, it was really a sad situation. But this lion's in there and there was these two 18-year-old kids that were in the school of ministry with me and they were like teasing this lion. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? They're like throwing rocks at him or something. And this lion was kind of pacing and then it just turned at them and it roared. And it was like the hair on my neck stood up. It was like, you're just gripped with fear. It's the most intense thing in the world. And then he lifted his leg and marked his territory, which was awesome. I was like, yeah, teaches you right there. Like, ah, <laughs> he still has got his weapons, man. He's got something. <laughs> like they're ferocious. And Daniel's like, no problem, no fear. And the king may have wanted Daniel not to be eaten, probably because he wanted him to do his job, right? Like, oh man. And it could be possible that this is what's called the trial by ordeal. Who's heard of that? Okay. So the Code of Hammurabi, who's heard of that? Okay, very famous law code predates the Medo-Persian Empire. The Code of Hammurabi talks about trial by ordeal. And the Code of Hammurabi was found in this area. So it's a very well-known thing. It would have been known by the Babylonians, would have been known by the Medo-Persians. And what the Code of Hammurabi said was this, that you could try somebody by an ordeal. And the ordeal that they said was this, you would tie their hands and feet together and throw them into a river. And if they drowned, they were guilty. <laughs> and if they didn't, they were innocent. Very few people were found innocent in the trial of ordeal, right? Uh, there's another one 
It's out of a little bit east of there where they would take a pot and they'd put a, a king cobra in the pot with a ring underneath it. And if you could reach into that pot and get the ring without getting bit, you were innocent. If you couldn't, guilty again. <laughs> I'd just say, cut my head off. I'm not putting my hand in that pot. There's no way. So maybe this is the idea right here, that the lion's den was a trial, of, trial by ordeal. Like if you can make it out, you're innocent. Okay, good. So that could be in here. Here's what happens, verse 19. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. The king commanded, and those with him who had maliciously, literally bit, bitten pieces off of him, who had maliciously accused Daniel, were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. First question, who slept better? Right? You got Darius, who, verse 18 says, spent the night fasting, no diversions were brought, and he had sleep flee from him. And Daniel's in the lion's den, and he's like, on his piles of money and piles of cash and whatever it was, duck down, feather, memory foam, mattress, he's nothing. Can't sleep. See, the kingdom, you get what money can never buy. You get the intangibles, you get sleep and joy and peace and rest and shalom and forgiveness. The stuff that people want to use all their money now to buy. Like how much money now is spent on people trying to get good sleep? I'd love to figure that out. Like Ambien, we got all these prescription medications now that people take. Why? So they can sleep better. Right? We've got 75 mattress companies in Little Grants Pass so people can sleep better. It's insanity. Because we're all desperately searching for rest. And this guy who's got everything can't rest. And Daniel, who's in this unbelievable trial, sleeps like a baby, right? It's awesome. I think we miss it because we seek the gifts instead of the giver. Daniel sought the giver. And we do have this little phrase where Darius takes the families and throws them in, and that's brutal, right? Now, was God doing that? No, that's Darius doing that. In fact, the Bible says it's Ezekiel 18.20 that God will not visit the sins of the parents on their children. That God doesn't do that. He holds each person individually. You're responsible for your sin. But this happened all the time in the ancient world. And it was like this. It was a warning, really, for women. Be careful who you marry because it might cost you your life. I think there's wisdom in that idea today. I tell my girls all the time, be careful who you marry. Not that it'll cost you your life, 
But you're making a massive decision there. Be careful who you marry. It's wisdom, right? So they throw them in there, and they're hungry, right? <laughs> All night long, they've been probably wanting to eat Daniel, but there's been an angel going, uh-uh, bad kitty, no. Right? And they're finally like, what? The angel's gone. Take him out. Right? So they, they're very hungry, and they're probably angry a bit. So here's what happens. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. I love phrases like that. Whose God is it? Daniel's God. Do people say that about me? Oh, that's Matt's God. Not, you know, God has Matt, but Matt has him. That's amazing to me. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. If you know your history, there's a little bit of concern on verse 18, 28, excuse me. Darius and Cyrus. So what's thought is a lot of times a king would have two names, like like a musician or a hip-hop artist or something, right? So it's very, very, very common for there to be these two names. So it could be that Darius and Cyrus are the same guy. And there's a linguistic way to support that if you want to. It's also possible that Cyrus was the main dude over all of the Medo-Persian Empire, and Darius was the main dude over Babylon. He was actually under Cyrus. Either of those are supported and there's lots of evidence for both of those. They're great answers, if you know that. But here's what happens. Daniel's trial protects all the Jews in the Medo-Persian Empire. Because he goes into the lion's den, because he doesn't compromise his faith, because he's faithful, because he keeps doing what he's supposed to do. Now, he's rescued from the lion's den, and then Edith goes out through all the 120 provinces, from India all the way to Greece. Hey, you can serve Yahweh the way you want to. I love that. Mom, dad, how you live, the trials that you go through can forward a path for your kids to follow, can protect them. It's Psalm 78 that we are able to, by the way that we've gone through, by hearing the testimonies that we give to our kids about what, is God, what God has done to us, delivering us from lions, that then it gives them hope that they pass on from generation to generation. Daniel does that. It's the same thing that happens in chapter three. That in the Babylonian empire, because of the fiery furnace, Jews are given freedom. And they're free from persecution during that time. And it doesn't come again until the Medo-Persians come. Now more freedom is given. How you live matters. How you live matters. Right? So number one, quick three things. Influence. Daniel is so influential. Cyrus the king, the entire area, is the guy that gives the command to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild that city. Why would Cyrus care about Jerusalem and it being rebuilt? There's only one reason. Daniel. 
I love Daniel. Yeah, rebuild your city, right? How impacting is this man? Like, it's incalculable to me. The, the impact that one man has, because he never plays a victim and he could have, right? He's a refugee kidnapped from his house when he's a little boy, brought to Babylon, probably castrated, never has kids, never has a family. If anyone could play the victim, it would be Daniel. He never does. Instead, he stays faithful, has an excellent spirit, works his tail off, and influences the world. Influence is not what we say, it's how we live. He lived brilliantly. Number two, I see hope in this little chapter. These men act like animals. They literally bite at Daniel, that verse 24, malicious. They act like animals. But you have Daniel being thrown into a lion's den, and in the lion's den, what happens down there? They're buddies. It's Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65, which says this, there's coming a time when the lion will eat straw like an ox, when the bear and the calf will lie down together. It's the coming kingdom. It's back to Eden, when things are in shalom, where things are right. Right now, the animal kingdom, is, it, is the animal kingdom kind? No, it's the most brutal, right? It's, it's red in tooth and claw, bloody in tooth and claw. But there's coming a time, the Bible says, when the wild kingdom will be tamed. Even more than that, the wild human heart will be tamed. And there'll be shalom that stretches from coast to coast. Praise God. Can't wait for that. Then thirdly, and lastly, the book of Hebrews says this, that we are to be imitators of those who through faith and patience obtain the promise. Daniel is a worthwhile man to imitate. He never sought power. He sought character. He never sought money. He sought God. And because he did that, he was given money, and given power, and given influence. What are we searching for? I think too often we have the wrong goal. And if we sought more character, if we sought more Jesus, then what happens is, Matthew 6, all these other things are then added to us, the things that would truly make us happy. That's what Daniel is. So Jesus today, we're grateful to have the great example of the prophet, the man, the instrument named Daniel. And I pray for each of us, Lord, as we leave this place and we go into potential lion's dens where traps are being set, trials are going to fall upon us, difficulty. I pray that we would be a people that have habits of holiness that keep the momentum of our Christianity cruising through difficult times, that we would not compromise. We'd still go to our window and pray, looking forward to your return, looking forward to that millennial period that's coming where the lion will eat straw like an ox, where the human heart will be tamed, where things will be right. Oh, may we have that hope, I pray. Would you go with us? We invite you to go with us. We invite you to be participating 
in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our drive, in the skate park. We invite you into those places. May they become outposts of your kingdom where we see your shalom and your rest and your peace. Because we, your people, are obeying you, following you, loving you, living for you. So fill us, empower us, and send us. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.